light and life. And we pray that you'll shine the light of your word in our hearts today that we may live, that we may live the life you created us for, that we may live the life your son died for, that we may live for his glory. Amen. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, about last Friday, <laughs> that's how A.A. A. Milne begins one of the Winnie the Pooh stories. Children don't have a great understanding of time. You may remember when you were about six or seven or eight, Christmas is coming, and it seems like years away. How many sleeps to Christmas? How many sleeps? But as we get older, they just sort of rush by with a sort of increasing speed and frequency. Our sense of time uh, really changes. I remember when I was very little, World War II, which happened before I was born, just in case you're wondering, <laughs> seemed like ancient history. But as I've grown older, I realize, wow, that was actually very recent at least at the time when I was a child. And, and the longer back we go, uh, the older we get, we realize that it's not quite as distant as we might think. As I say, children often have the wrong or, or a difficult understanding of time. So I've heard children say, you know, Grandpa, were you alive when there were dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, we might think, how could you think that? But old means old, whether it's a week ago, last Friday, once upon a time, or whether it's hundreds of years ago, the sense of time. I remember when I was a child trying to think back as far as you could possibly go. What was there? What was there? What was there before that? What was there before that? It's a little bit like, and you might have done this as well, when you're a little child, you write your address I grew up in Melbourne, so Paul Barker, 12 Robert Street, Chadston, Melbourne, 3148, Victoria, Australia, the Asia-Pacific region, the Southern Hemisphere, the world, the galaxy, the universe, and then you think, what, what's next? How far back can we go? Mark's Gospel takes us back to about 30 A.D., maybe a little bit before. A man called John the Baptist speaking, announcing the coming of Jesus. Luke's gospel, he takes us back to a couple of years BC. There was a sort of error made, I think, when the calendar was done and Jesus actually was born, you know, Jesus Christ was born before Christ, which is a bit odd, but anyway. <laughs> Luke takes us back to Jesus' conception at Nazareth a few months before Christmas. Matthew's gospel takes us further back because Matthew takes us back at the beginning of his gospel to about 2000 BC, to Abraham. Here is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, 2000 BC, and follows a genealogy. But when we come to John, he takes us back as far as we can go. This is sort of pushing the boundaries like little kids try to do and try to imagine in time and space. John doesn't take us back to 
the shed or the manger or the stable in Bethlehem. He doesn't take us back to a few years BC when Quirinius was governor. He doesn't take us back to the ancestors of David or Abraham. John's gospel takes us back to the beginning. In the beginning. In the very beginning. He doesn't mean in the beginning of the events of Bethlehem. He doesn't mean in the beginning of the events of the conception of Jesus and the announcement of an angel in Nazareth. He doesn't mean in the beginning going back to Abraham. But in the very beginning, in the absolute beginning, in the beginning is how his gospel begins. In the beginning. And what he's saying, of course, is the verses and chapters unfold is that there was never a time without Jesus. Sometimes we get this a little bit wrong and we think that Christmas is about the beginning of Jesus, but strictly not so. Jesus existed from the beginning, from the very beginning. What Christmas celebrates is that the already existent Son of God becomes a person, a physical person, what's called the Incarnation. Christmas is the beginning of the already existing Son of God's human life. John begins, though, in what looks to be a little bit of a mystery. I quite like mysteries. And, uh, and so if we were unfamiliar with this story, the opening words of John would probably create for us an element of puzzle. Maybe not quite confusion, because probably quickly we would read on and find what he's referring to, or rather whom he's referring to. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word. Well, yes, in the beginning God spoke a Word, and light came, and creation began. What is this Word that he's referring to? But then he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, which is a little bit odd and a little bit mysterious. Very simple, but actually very profound. This word is not merely God's speaking word. It's a word that somehow is with God, but is God. So it's not totally the one person or the one idea, an identity. But on the other hand, it's not separate either. In the beginning was this word, and the word was both with God and was God. And I think John probably is trying to provoke our interest, make us think, reflect, before he begins to unfold the solution to this mystery. And the mystery continues because in verse 2 it says, He was in the beginning with God. Now, admittedly, in Greek, that's what you might expect because the word word is masculine. But nonetheless, there's perhaps something deeper as well. It's not just an it, an it word, but it's personal. And certainly how the verses follow show that this word is not a word spoken by God. It's not a word independent of God or even merely alongside God as a sort of odd philosophical idea. But fundamentally, a person, he He was in the beginning with God. This word is a he. 
And for those of us who know the story, of course, it's referring to Jesus, the Son of God, the He. But then why does John call him a word? Why does he say in the beginning was the word? Why doesn't he simply say in the beginning was the Son of God? In the beginning was Jesus, although the name Jesus really only comes when he's born. Why doesn't he make it clear? And I guess because he's wanting to reflect for us the role of this Jesus, this Son of God, this word. Words reveal. Words communicate. Words open up and expose this word, this personal word, that's what he does. He reveals God. He shows us God. He speaks for God. He speaks as God. He communicates. He bridges the gap. He takes away the silence. He takes away the ignorance. That's the fundamental role of this word. He's a revealing communicating, speaking God, and primarily through this word who was with him and was him, this word whom we later find out, of course, is Jesus. Why does John begin like this? Hopefully the two readings put together make it clear for you if it wasn't already clear. That is, if you don't know this story at all, the first reading is what John is echoing and alluding back to. Because the very beginning of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, which is simply called in the beginning, Genesis, begins with those words, in the beginning. John deliberately, without a doubt, is echoing and alluding back to those words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, it unfolds over the days of Genesis 1, the steps that God took to create this universe. John says in the beginning, he's echoing creation, but the story that he's introducing here is not merely the story of the creation in Genesis, but actually what he's echoing is are themes of creation that we could say is more or less like an, a new creation. A better creation. So in these opening words that we've already heard from just John, just half of one chapter or less than half of one chapter, we find many echoes of the first chapter of the Bible. In the beginning, word, light, darkness, life. John is echoing that. But he's telling us that the story he's about to tell is of such profound significance that it's as if this is like a new creation story. And of course, if we know the story up to John, the story through what's called the Old Testament, then we know that this good, very good creation which God made is marred and spoiled and set awry by human rebellion and human unbelief, which we call sin. And we know that the story of the Old Testament is God beginning to put in place the foundation steps towards a solution to that. And what John, by echoing those words of creation, is saying is, here comes the solution. Here comes the new creation. 
Here comes the reversal of all that was wrong and spoiled from the old one. He goes on to say in verse 4, in him, in this personal word, was life. Not just that he was living, certainly not referring to him being born and coming alive as a person in Bethlehem, but that in him essentially, as part of his inherent nature, in him was life. We could not say, John would not say that of us, in you is life, in you is life. What John is referring to is that the whole source of life, what life is meant to be, is in this personal word. And John reflects that as the gospel unfolds in the chapters following, in so many uh, ways of images. This Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. Later on, he will say, I will give you life-giving water. I have come to give you life and life in all its abundance and fullness. In him was life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the life, he's saying. Not just that I live and not just that I can give you life, but even more profoundly, I am the life. Maybe one of the climaxes of that theme is in John's gospel is when Jesus raises from the dead a friend and declares, I am the resurrection and the life, the new creation. Not merely being physically born to be alive, but life that conquers death, life that conquers sin and evil as the gospel of John and the other gospels will make clear to us in the chapters that follow. You see, John is making an extraordinary claim here about this personal word. He is uniquely and supremely life as God intended. He's not only the revealer of that life, that is the light that shines the the path towards that light and how to live, but he himself is the origin, the source of such life. He is the powerful word to create such life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And what John is saying is that God in this personal word, whom we know as Jesus, is recreating life in all its fullness for humanity. When we think about it, our world prizes life. We spend thousands, if not millions, of dollars trying to extend life, to find the cure of cancer. In Australia, we are obsessed with people not dying. So we have the strictest road laws probably in the world to try and stop anybody dying. And as soon as somebody dies in some accident in Australia, we create a rule that tries to prevent that ever happening again. And yet, by and large, our world totally ignores where life really comes from. We are so obsessed about just keeping this life on earth going as long as we possibly can. But real life is not the same. The source of life, life in its fullness, resurrection life, that's this word who was in the beginning 
who created the original creation and in whom is the life of the new creation for eternity. But this ignorance of this living word is not new. It's not a modern phenomenon. It was there back when he walked the earth. So we find in verse 9, for example, I'll skip over a few verses here, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. But he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. And how true that is today. Our world largely lives in darkness, not light, in ignorance of the source of life, both of physical life, but even more importantly, life as it's meant to be. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But, it's not the case for everyone, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's what it means to receive him, simply to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not, a, not born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And there you see are the two lives put together. We are born of human parents, born into a physical life. But the greater life is to be born of God, to be born again or born from above or born from the Spirit, words that John will use later in his gospel. And how has that happened? By believing in his name. That's how that life is ours. The source of life is the living word. And he gives it, he offers it to any who believe in his name, who trust him. Not a, not a cognitive belief, an academic belief, an intellectual ability, but who trust him. And as John's gospel unfolds, trusting Jesus draws us to trusting his death and his conquest of death in the resurrection. This word that was in the beginning with God and was God did a remarkable thing. And that's why we celebrate today. And as John puts it like this, the word became flesh, already existing, but now took on flesh, became flesh, became a human being and dwelt among us. But actually that translation hides an odd word. We could say he pitched a tent among us. That might be a little bit odd. And it is odd. It's not the obvious way of saying he came and lived among us. Because what John is alluding to here again takes us back into the Old Testament. Where the tent of the meeting place of God and his people later became a building called a temple where God and people are brought together. That's Jesus. It's Jesus who brings God and humanity together. That's real life. That's life in its fullness. That's the life that God made us to have. And that's the life that he came to bring by taking on flesh and pitching his tent among us. One of the delights at Christmas used to be getting all sorts of chocolates and nice things to eat. I remember one time, maybe it was new in Australia, I'm not quite sure, 
but we had a box of chocolates. We always had our favourites, but there was a new one that we were given somewhere. Whitman's sampler box of chocolates. I think they're American. Whitman's sampler. And inside was a different type of chocolate. Every chocolate was different, is what I mean. The idea of being it's a sampler. You take one, and you think, oh, I like these. So you could go back to the shop and buy a Whitman's box of, you know, dark chocolate with almonds or something. Or you take another and think, oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to have that one again. You sample the different ones, and the whole idea of a sampler box is that it whets your appetite. You begin to salivate like I can see most of you are doing already. (laughs) This opening part of John's Gospel is a little bit like a Whitman's sampler box at Christmas. John touches on lots of goodies, lots of good things to make us salivate, to stir up our appetite to know more, to find out more. He touches on life. He touches on light. Who this Jesus is, the divine creator. But he also gives us a a sample of something that might have a little sting in the taste, an aftertaste. The world did not know him. The world rejected him. For the main themes of John's gospel are all here. What we'll see is this light and life on earth, in flesh, among people, being rejected to the point of death on a cross, but nonetheless the offer of life because that death is conquered. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or as we're about to sing, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And John ends reminding us of this beginning. Through believing, he says, this is why I've written this gospel, that through believing, you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, there is no other life worth living. The only life worth living, and boy, it's a great life to live, is a life that believes in his name. Unlike a box of Whitman sampler chocolates there is no cholesterol damage if you were to start tasting the chapters that follow this chapter one if you were to indulge in a little bit of the end of chapter one if you were to salivate through chapter two the water into wine good wine if you were to go on into the new birth of chapter three And on to see the healings and the statements by Jesus, the bread of life, the life-giving water, the abundant life, the resurrection and the life, climaxing at the end of the gospel. I've written this so that you may believe and through believing in his name, have life. This is a sampler, a little Christmas gift so that we read more, so that we discover more, but even more importantly, that through believing in his name, we may have life. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your Son, in whom there is life. We thank you that he came and took on flesh 
to shine his light on this life so that by believing in his name, we may live. Help us to come to that faith, to believe in his name, and then help us to live. Amen.